Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. That is wisdom from Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Welcome to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Today, we're going to continue breaking down the primary characteristics of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, whether or not you know much about FASD or if you have a child who's diagnosed or not diagnosed, this episode will be very insightful for all adoptive foster and kinship caregivers. Uh, But first, before we dive into that, I do have an update regarding my seven-month-old now grandson, Killian. If you follow this podcast or my social media, you know uh, that this little guy has been in the hospital for nearly three consecutive months. He's had three open heart surgeries and two heart catheterizations since he was born last June. Uh, His most recent surgery Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, he has been recovering like a champ and exceeding the doctor's expectations. So we're just really giving God the glory for answered prayer. So many of you and so many folks across the country and around the world are praying for him and his parents. Um, And really, as of his this recording, um, they are getting very, very close to Killian being discharged from the Children's Hospital in Denver. Um, And I don't know, uh, I was hope we were hoping it was going to be a little bit sooner. um, But the concern, of course, always seems to be his growth. Um, but uh, today's report was that he did gain a little tiny bit of uh, kilograms. So as long as he continues to, to do that for the next few days, um, he will be discharged. So thank you. Um, if you are one of those folks that have been praying for Killian and his parents, please continue to pray for his full recovery. Even after he gets home, he still is a cardiac patient. And, um, you know, we don't know if he'll need more surgeries in the future as he grows. Um, But so they would definitely would appreciate your prayers. You can stay tuned to my social media if you want to follow uh, the story in real time. We do have a, a page called Killian John Cardiac Warrior. It's a Facebook page my daughter maintains. I always share um, the post that she puts there. So if you want to see pictures and have real-time updates, you can follow us on that for on social media. Killian is the firstborn son of my first adopted daughter, uh, Missy, who joined our family back in 1999 through a kinship placement. Um, She came in, we had legal custody of her for a time, and then eventually adopted her. You can 
read our whole story um, about how she joined our family and that crazy journey, as well as how we adopted four kids internationally. Um, it's all in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. Um, and you can grab a copy wherever you like to grab your books. And I'd appreciate that if you did. Um, now, before we do dive into today's topic, I do have this special announcement. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. So yeah, we'd love, Natalie and I, to have you join us in the Hope for the FASD Journey um, online support community. We're just building a great group of um, folks who are really um, just wanting to come together for support. We're on a, a unique journey um, and we've been really enjoying that. So we'd love to have you join us. So I hope you check that out. Also, coming up this week, if you're listening to this podcast, um, you know, in real time when it when it regularly drops, um, we have two online workshops uh, coming up this week. One is a free 45 minute lunch and learn introduction to FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. That is uh, this Wednesday, January 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm also offering a three-hour deep dive into FASD, or as deep as we can go for three hours. Um, and I will be using the FACETS neurobehavioral approach um, and, and teaching on that um, on that uh, deep dive. So that is on Saturday, January 21st at 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, there's a registration fee for the three-hour deep dive. The lunch and learn is free, but in order to uh, attend either workshop, you do have to register um, and you would go to our website, justicefororphansny.org um, to register. You would click on events at the top of the page to um, sign up for the correct um, event and uh, workshop, and then you would get the Zoom link so that you can join. Uh, and there is a link in the show notes to this episode if you want to click that and do it easily that way. So also more amazing resources that we offer parents and caregivers, our bonus episodes with Dr. Jared Brown. Um, Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, so much more. And I have to tell you, these episodes are some of our most popular um, because we really are addressing topics and we kind of drill down on topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents. We get into the weeds on prenatal trauma, complex trauma, um, screen time, executive dysfunction, inappropriate sexual behavior, working memory, um, just all of the things. We The HP, 
access, the HPA access, um, goodness, the uh, Alexa Thymia, that was a new one for me. Um, just so many great things he unpacks for us. Uh, and now regular episodes like the one you're listening to right now, um, they drop, you know, you get a new one in your inbox every Monday. Our special bonus episodes with Dr. Brown, we, we release those on Fridays. So when we're doing these bonus episodes, you could have two of our podcasts a week, two brand new ones a week. Um, So be on the lookout for them. They all land in the same place, but we just want you to know that we are offering bonus content. Um, I think we're going to be doing about 21 or 22 episodes with Dr. Brown specifically. Um, So I hope you check those out. They go pretty deep. You're going to want to take notes when he speaks. Um, It's uh, really, really good. So you won't want to miss those. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss a single episode. Um, And we want to make sure that other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers can easily find this show. Um, And when you subscribe and leave a review, it kind of brings us to the top of that search list. So please be sure to do that and tell your other foster and adoptive friends um, about it so that they can listen to. Um, Because you know what? That's the goal of this podcast. We want to encourage and equip adoptive foster and kinship caregivers. I have been a kinship and adoptive parent for 24 years, and I cover all the topics of relevance to us parents on this often difficult and harrowing journey, um, including and especially FASD. And the reason why I talk about FASD so much is because my two youngest adopted boys who are now teenagers, um, they were diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome 12 years ago. They were little, um, but I was given zero resources or supports from the developmental pediatrician who diagnosed them. So, you know, we ended up focusing on resources that were available to us. Um, I especially, you know, kind of dove into the connected child and and Dr. Karen Purvis's uh, TBRI, the trust-based relational intervention, Um, you know, the connected child book, the empowered to connect conferences, and it all really helped. It really did. I swear by it. Um, In fact, as soon as someone approaches me and says, "I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a foster and adoptive parent, I always recommend the Connected Child book and any of that information, um, as well as becoming FASD informed. You know, I even became an Empowered to Connect uh, a facilitator of their Cultivate Connection course. It used to be their, um, it went by a different name, um, but it's now called Cultivate Connection. Um, so I, I stand by the connected parenting stuff. Um, you know, but by the time our boys were teenagers, it was clear that we were missing something huge. There was something going on that we were missing that, you know, even though the connected parenting stuff, we got great progress and, and uh, you know, made a lot of gains there. Um, there was still something. So I took a deep dive into the one thing I really didn't know much about, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And when I discovered, you know, I took that deep dive, started learning all of this stuff. It was life-changing for our family, really. And shocking because I also learned that FASDs are so common, like 
recent research indicates one in 20 school-age kids in the United States have been prenatally exposed. So it is so common, but often not diagnosed or misdiagnosed. And there is a disproportionate number of kids in the foster care system who have been prenatally exposed to alcohol or other drugs. Um, And that's why I talk about FASD so much on this show, because if you are an adoptive parent or a foster parent or a kinship caregiver, it is highly likely you have a child who was prenatally exposed in your home. Or if you don't, you will. Um, But it's something that you probably maybe know little or nothing about um, the impacts of prenatal exposure. And it's something that oftentimes most most places around the country, the training to become a foster parent barely, if at all, touches on FASD. We had no training when we became a kinship caregiver. um, And when we adopted internationally, we got zero training of any kind. So we've got to be out there getting trained and learning everything we can. Um, And again, that's one of the reasons why I, I so passionately talk about this stuff on this show. I'm on a mission to make sure that every parent and caregiver be FASD informed and equipped. I'm informed now and now I'm equipped as a facilitator of the FACETS brain-based model and I'm offering workshops and trainings for parents and caregivers and professionals on the topic of FASD because you know this podcast isn't specifically about FASD. There's some phenomenal podcasts out there that that is their sole topic. And I listen to those podcasts myself. Um, But, you know, we've been, we've been, we were a radio show many, many years ago before any of those FASD podcasts existed. Um, And we just started out talking to adoptive parents and foster parents and uh, professionals and, you know, addressing different topics, um, you know, from attachment to trauma to, you know, all of the things, reunification and how you become a foster and adoptive parent and just, you know, interviewing folks who just told their inspiring stories, right? Um, But again, this podcast has also sort of evolved with me as I've grown as a parent and caregiver. Um, You know, I've openly shared all of our challenges and our stories. And when we pivoted, I think we pivoted to becoming solely a podcast back in 2019, Um, you know, and then that's when I was learning a lot about FASD because that's when the, the wheels were coming off of things at our house. Um, And I began to take that deep dive. And the more I learned, the more I I share about it on this show, because everybody needs to be informed and educated and equipped in this area. Um, And then I went on to be to to take the training so that I can teach the facets model, um, because that has been um, life changing in our family as well. Um, So that's why we do talk about it a lot. Um, And, you know, that that's. Not the only thing we talk about on this show, but this it's a big part of what we are talking about now. Um, so fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, also, you know, we abbreviate it to FASD, is a brain-based, lifelong physical condition that can affect the brain and body of people who are exposed to alcohol in the womb. 
prenatal exposure to alcohol literally changes the structure and the function of the brain. And there are symptoms to this disability. And I've been addressing, you know, for a few months now, I'll, I'll include an episode on one of the primary characteristics. So just to review, the primary characteristics of FASD include the following. Dismaturity, uh, that's when a child's developmental age is much younger than their biological age. A lot of times it's like half. Um, I, I have a kiddo who's 17 who, for all intents and purposes in every way, really presents, um, other than the fact that he's you know tall and looks like a 17-year-old, everything else about him is more like a seven, eight, or nine-year-old. Um, very, very common characteristic. Uh, slower processing pace, uh, impulsivity, memory problems, which we talked about last episode, difficulty with abstract concepts like money and time. That's the one we're going to break down for you today, but also difficulty with predicting outcomes, uh, sensory processing challenges, difficulty generalizing or forming links, difficulty with cause and effect, problems with organizing and planning, um, and executive function deficits, uh, which is like a whole can of worms, right? Because the executive function is the boss of the brain. So there's a lot to unpack there. Some of these things we've taken really uh, we've gone really deep in the weeds with with Dr. Jared Brown. I'm kind of giving you the the mom version, like what does it look like in the day in the life of a family, of a parent, and of kiddos with an FASD. Um, that's what I'm doing on these episodes where I kind of break them break them down. Um, but highlighting one symptom of FASD per episode in the series on primary characteristics. Um, I, I feel like it's been very well received and it's something that we just continually need to, to, to look at and to take into consideration. Like I said, I've already covered in this series dismaturity, slow processing pace, impulsivity. Last week we broke down and discussed memory problems. Today we're going to focus on the individual's challenges with understanding abstract concepts. What what are abstract concepts exactly? Well, the two most common, um, the two biggest ones I think are understanding and managing time and money. So if you have a kiddo with an FASD and you're like, oh yeah, that's a thing, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, time, money, I always like to add car insurance. We don't think about car insurance, right? But that is really an abstract concept that our kids can get in big trouble with. And I'm gonna tell a story about that um, here in a bit. So individuals on the FASD spectrum, they are concrete, literal thinkers, and they have difficulty with abstract concepts like time and money are, are like the most common, so we, we talk about those a lot. In, in the case of time, um, they may have no concept of the difference between five minutes or five hours. To them, it may feel the same. Um, to be able to manage time, especially as they get older, um, the steps 
necessary to get ready for school? You know, how long do they have for each one of these steps so that they can catch the bus on time? What if they get up late? Then they've actually got to, you know, modify their routine. Um, and a lot of our kids actually have a hard time. They're unable to adjust and shorten their routine so that they can make it to school on time. So kind of like managing those steps um, and organizing the way they use their time. It's just, it's, it's, it's very, very challenging. Um, I remember giving one of my older kids um, who was adopted but not diagnosed with an FASD, but the more I learned, the more I'm convinced that there was probably some prenatal exposure to alcohol. Um, anyway, I, we homeschooled back in the day, everybody, and this kid, you know, senior year, um, got a homeschool assignment, uh, which was to read a biography, create an outline, write a rough draft, submit the rough draft, to the teacher being me for editing and then eventually of course writing a final report um it was on um it was part of history class and an english assignment all combined into one and and um you know the, the assignment included a list of dates by which each task needed to be completed right um so you know start reading the book and then this is the day the book has to be done and then this is the day that the rough draft needs to be done and so on and so forth um, and the, it was a big assignment part of her year-end grade um, but when the day came for the rough draft to be handed in I discovered not only had she not even started writing the rough draft she hadn't even finished reading the book and this is a reader kid this is a kid who I had a hard time keeping her nose out of a book um, and she loved to read and uh, so I thought this would be an easy, like I didn't even anticipate a problem really. Um, and in, in the assignment was on her daily schedule. Like all of my kids, I used to have like a schedule and they just had to cross off as they completed each subject. So, you know, history and English class on her, on her list of things to do each day and every day she was crossing it off and I was reminding her, you know, make sure you do this and even asking her, are you working on it? How's it going? She always answered, yep, yep, I'm working on it. We're good. But, you know, then when it came down to it, it wasn't getting worked on at all and things were not good. And this was many years ago. And I confess, I handled it terribly. Back then, I did not know anything about trauma, let alone FASD. Had no, on, no training, no teaching, no knowledge, no nothing on those things. So... It was a disaster because to me, her behavior looked like she was being defiant. You know, she was lying because she kept telling me, yep, yep, I'm working on it. Nope, I don't need any problems. We're good. So it seemed like she was lying, defiant, lazy, like why you have all day long and I think you're in there reading your book and like, what are you doing? And it seemed like she was being oppositional and, and, and difficult. And, you know, I had set expectations and consequences for this kid, just as I had done for my, you know, neurotypical biological kids. We have three adult biological children. And, um, you know, she was the first one, this kid that came in as, as a, um, as a kinship. And then, and then, um, you know, we eventually adopted her, but I had no zero training. There was zero training. I never even read a book on adoption or attachment because it just wasn't on my radar to do that. Like, you know, that saying, 
You don't know what you don't know. I didn't know. Didn't know anything. Um, you know, but now if we look through the trauma and FASD lens, now I know this kid's brain could not manage the time an assignment that size took, even though it was sort of broken down into smaller pieces or at least big chunks. Um, you know, this kid could not accurately figure out how much time was needed um, to spend on the reading, the book, in order to have it actually done by the deadline that was given. Um, this kid couldn't estimate how long it would take to write an outline. Um, if I had been FASD informed, I would have made accommodations. I would have taken all of this into consideration ahead of time. And I would have maybe assigned a paragraph um, or maybe not a paragraph, a chapter, a chapter each day. Like, you know, on this day, you have to read chapter one. On the next day, you have to read chapter two. You know, broken it down into smaller manageable chunks instead of big, gigantic chunks. Um, or maybe assigned X number of pages a day and then had, had the kid, had the student check in with me, you know, maybe kind of like, you know, tell me what you learned in this chapter, just to kind of have a system of checks and balances, not to catch the, the student, you know, in a lie or, you know, find out if they were avoiding the assignment, but just to make sure that, okay, they, you know, that they have the support to get it done, um, you know, and then even sitting down one-on-one -on -one to create that outline uh, and working on that together. And then maybe finally breaking down the writing assignment of this big research paper into, you know, just a paragraph a day following the outline and just kind of like checking in, just offering more support. Um, I wouldn't have just handed her the assignment um, asked if it was getting done, and then on the day it was due, engage in World War III, because that's basically what happened. Um, I, you know, knowing what I know now, I should have um, known and been FASD informed, and even, even trauma informed might have helped here. Um, but if I were FASD informed, I would have known her brain could not tackle an assignment like that without support. Individuals with an FASD have a difficult time with large multi-step tasks and time management. So this was really a recipe for disaster because, you know, oftentimes our kids cannot just figure out, okay, I have this assignment, I have this many days to get it done, so I should do this much each day. You know, unless someone is helping them with that, they're not going to figure it out on their own if they have challenges with time management which is really a primary characteristic it's it's you know managing time is an abstract concept um money is another abstract concept i've told the story on this show before about how my um then 17 year old son not too long ago um diagnosed with an fas with fetal alcohol syndrome lost a large sum of money when he lost his wallet, partly because he refused to open a bank account. I had been nagging him, you need to open a bank account, we need to go down to the bank. And he, no, he did not. He did not want to open a bank account because he said, the bank just will take my money. 
which, you know, is true because they do take it. They take it and they keep it safe and then they give it back to you when you ask for it. Um, but he just couldn't grasp that. And I, you know, being a busy mom just didn't, you know, I just kept saying, don't lose it because I don't replace lost money. Well, after he lost $1,000, because by then he was working and putting all of his money in his wallet, um, I did convince him and insisted upon and took him to the bank. And we opened a joint checking account with my name on there also so I can help keep an eye on his funds. He was pretty adamant that he did not want me taking his money, right? He didn't want the bank taking his money. He did not want his mom taking his money. But what I did was I, you know, to convince him and show him that I did not want to take his money. We were both issued an ATM card for this joint account and together you know we put it through the shredder my card so he knew like i'm not going to go to the bank and take out your money i don't i'm not doing that i'm just helping you manage it um so i use the bank our bank has an app i have it on my phone and i can check all of his banking transactions and his balance um, and very conveniently when he has to pay car insurance um i it, he's on our our car insurance plan I just I just move his funds from his bank account to mine it's it's a um, you know transaction where you there's a name for that and it's escaping me but I transfer that's the word transfer it from his account to mine um, so it makes staying on top of that um, much easier as well um, but yeah so car insurance yes yes car insurance. This is a big one, folks. This is a big one as you have kids who get older. Um, we all need car insurance. Does anybody really understand how it works unless you are like an agent or something? But about 12 years ago, again, before we had a whole lot of trauma training, before I knew really a whole lot, if anything, about FASD, one of our older kids, again, not diagnosed, but who now I'm convinced um, probably at least fetal alcohol effect had some exposure. This kid got themselves into trouble by failing to pay their car insurance for months and months. They worked, had a bank account, um, and we had no idea that the insurance wasn't getting paid. They had their own policy, um, so they were supposed to be paying that. Um, and again, we had no idea until some concerning mail started arriving from the DMV. The kid still lived home. Um, I would get the mail and I would see this mail come and I would give the mail to the kid and I would say, you know, everything okay? Um, which I was assured, oh, everything is fine. You know, but I've been around a long time and when more DMV mail arrived, I'm like, this is not normal like, you don't get this much mail from the DMV. <laughs> so I opened it when the kid was at work, only to discover that the said kid's driver's license was about to be suspended for driving or having their license plates still um, without 
insurance. Well, I didn't know the reason why. And when the, the, the DMV mail just indicated they were about to have their license suspended, I contacted our insurance company because we made sure that the kid was set up with the same insurance company, even though they had their own policy. And our insurance company was able to then explain um, this kid was not paying their bill, repeated attempts by email and phone, did not address it. And, you know, this kid is is in less trouble with the insurance company, but more trouble with the DMV because um, every day that you drive a vehicle without car insurance, every day that you still have plates, like if you if you cancel your car insurance and you turn in your plates, you're good. But if you don't turn in your plates because you're still driving your vehicle, but yet you don't pay your car insurance, the DMV is alerted to this and they fine you, at least in New York State. I'm in New York State, so I don't know if it's different in any other state, but anyway, she was about to lose the, this kid was about to lose their driver's license and was in trouble and owed a bunch of money to the DMV, not to mention the money owed to the insurance company for the policy that hadn't been paid. So that night, my husband and I sat down this 19-year-old kiddo to have a conversation. And back in the day when I was not so much trauma-informed, I liked to lecture. Like that was my parenting style. You got the four-point sermon on what you did wrong, you know, why you shouldn't have done it, and now what your consequence is going to be, and so on and so forth. Can anybody relate? So, you know, I didn't understand slow processing pace, didn't understand FASD or trauma or any of those things. Um, but you know what? This is what we discovered. My, my husband handles these things better than I do. He's the calm, cool, you know, I was, you know, the kind of like crazy lady. But it turns out this kid had the money in the bank because was still going to their job. Money's still in the bank, but just didn't seem to understand how imp imperative having car insurance is and how you can't just not pay it. You know, auto insurance is not a tangible thing. It's not a concrete thing. It's a, it's an abstract thing. Like if you don't pay your cell phone bill because this kid's cell phone bill was paid on time, if you don't pay your cell phone bill and you, however, depending on your plan, right, you either run out of minutes or they don't give you any more minutes or they shut off your service or whatever, the kid is going to feel that because they live on their phone, right? That's a little bit, while it can be abstract, it's a little more concrete. If you don't have your phone, you're gonna feel that. But if you don't have car insurance, that's not like a tangible thing that you're that you're like, oh my goodness, I'm without this, I need to have this. Um, so the cell phone bill was paid, the car insurance had been neglected. I went into full lecture mode. Thankfully, like I said, my husband, more calm and patient. He actually took this kid to the insurance company the next day, um, helped her to make that right um, and to get new insurance. Like she, like again, this kid had money in their bank account. It wasn't even so. And that was even shocking to me. Like looking back now, like I'm surprised there was even money in there, but had the money made right with the insurance company, got new insurance. Then my husband took the kid to the DMV so they could pay their fines. Um, looking back now, 
it's almost like I think I don't even know if the consequence of even having to do that, like you would think if you had to pay a thousand dollars to the DMV in fines, you would be like, I will never like make this mistake again. But because the money was in the bank account, even that was sort of abstract because it wasn't like pain was really felt. It wasn't like a, a, a real consequence. Like the consequence didn't stick as effectively as it would a person who really understands abstract, okay? Um, but it got all taken care of, um, you know, and one of the questions I had asked is, why didn't you come to us? Why when the, the motor vehicle was sending you this mail or the insurance company was constantly calling your cell phone, like, why didn't you ask for help? And this kid's only excuse as to why they didn't ask us for help was because they did not want to get yelled at. Which like, you know, at the time I remember saying something, you know, so profound as nobody ever died from getting yelled at. But, you know, this, that even shines some light on other symptoms, primary symptoms of an FASD. But, you know, just to back it up, that car insurance, managing the money, managing the time, all abstract concepts. And, you know, now that I am FASD informed and trained, I look through the brain lens and realize now that the responsibility, you know, that maybe an average 19 year old would be able to handle this individual who was more like maybe nine years old in many ways, too much, too much. Um, with challenges, with abstract concepts, we should have never expected her to carry that sole responsibility of managing that money and paying those bills, all without accountability or over, you know, us watching over or helping or assisting in any way. And it's scary because the older our kids get, the more challenging the primary symptoms of FASD become and the greater the consequences when they run into a problem. And over time, if we do not accommodate and support our kids with these primary characteristics, they can experience secondary characteristics. Secondary characteristics can develop when, when we do not properly accommodate and address the primary. And let me, we haven't talked about secondary characteristics of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, but let me give you a list because there's a list of them as well. So these can occur when over time there's a poor fit. We're setting expectations for individuals as if they were neurotypical, as if they didn't have a brain-based disability, and then, you know, they cannot meet those expectations. They fail those expectations. They're in trouble for that. You know, it looks like they're lying. It looks like they're deceiving. It looks like they're like whatever, like all the things. Over time, they can develop what we call secondary symptoms or characteristics of FASD, which include fatigue. They can become fatigued, frustrated, have a lot of anxiety, fear, feel very overwhelmed. So think about it when you're when there's expectations set upon you that you cannot possibly meet and you continue to get, you know, nagged and 
harped on and you know talked to and lectured at and yelled at and pushed at and and it, you know punished because you cannot do it um, you're going to feel stress, right? You're going to feel frustrated and you're going to feel, you know, overwhelmed. And, and over time, some people shut down. That's another secondary symptom. They shut down, check out. Um, they can have feelings of failure and a poor self-concept con- because it's like, I can't ever get this right. I'm a, I'm a failure. I can never do this. Why can't I? You know, they, they start feeling bad about themselves. They isolate they, you know, stop hanging around friends or maybe they don't even have friends or they spend time in their room, spend time getting lost on, you know, their, their, their electronic device or, or video games or whatever. Um, sometimes they do that self-aggrandizement thing and try to make themselves bigger and, and more than, you know, and more than uh, to, to try to make up for that feeling of being less than. They can become aggressive over time, um, you know, those outbursts of anger, um, family problems and school problems develop, right? Um, so, so trouble with family, trouble with school relationships, getting in trouble at school, running away, skipping classes, um, running away from home, um, getting involved in inappropriate sexual activities, uh, depression, and self-destructive behaviors. And folks, that is a scary list, but even if, if expectations continue with those primary characteristics, even when we're seeing these secondary symptoms and no changes are made, the same expectations are set, the kid continues to not be able to be successful and meet those expectations and they're not getting the supports and they're not getting the help that they need. As scary as this list of secondary symptoms is, there are tertiary symptoms that can develop um, if there's continued chronic poor fit. And I'm not going to get into those right now. I'm not going to get into the, the tertiary um I do recommend the book Trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane Melbin, um, you know, which is really, she was the visionary who, who established the FACETS neurobehavioral model, um, which, you know, what I'm talking about today, based on that, elements of the FACETS model, um, I teach deeper dive sessions on this, but, um, you know, we, if we want to decrease the likelihood of these secondary characteristics from developing and we want to avoid those tertiary characteristics, the first thing we have to do as parents and caregivers is be aware of the primary characteristics so that we can implement accommodations and build on the individual strengths so that they can be adequately supported and positioned for success. So how do we accommodate an individual who an individual who struggles with abstract reasoning abstract concepts again which is a primary symptom of an FASD so first i believe we must take the individual so if it's our kid we would take our kid into consideration how does their brain work so you have to kind of be paying attention and take note and be curious and you know watch and listen and learn learn everything you can about nfasd and about the brain and you know take this into consideration could a problem with time management with math or with money matters 
actually be a symptom of an abstract reasoning deficit, a, a characteristic of an FASD. Instead of blaming or punishing a kid for not getting to class on time or not memorizing their multiplication facts or their spelling words or some other abstract related task, take a closer look at how their brain functions in that area. Are there signs that abstract reasoning could be an issue? Do they have deficits in this area? Next, consider accommodations to help the individual with the abstract tasks. So earlier I shared how I helped my 19-year-old manage his money. Um, depending on um, where our kids are on the spectrum, they may always need someone who is trustworthy to help them when it comes to money because they can also be vulnerable to people who might take advantage of them. Um, you know, another thing that was really a glaring uh, light to me when I did take this kid to the bank to open that joint checking account. Um, it had been um, around the time of his high school graduation, so he had gotten money, he had gotten checks, people had written him some checks. So to open the account, we made a deposit and he had some uh, some checks. And I just, I was standing there and he said to the bank teller, so, uh, you know, we're making the deposit to open the account. And he said to the bank teller, so, when I come back here to get money out, are you going to give me these checks back or can I just get cash for them? And, you know, the bank teller looked at me with these like shocked eyeballs and I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> it's a thing. So, yeah, money, money management, help with that is going to be huge. Like I said, we also don't want them to get taken advantage of and people to take their money. Um, also, similarly to challenges with memory, another which is another primary characteristic that we talked about in the last episode, um, we have to teach the individual how to use technology. Um, we have technology at our fingertips, you know, good, bad, or otherwise these days, and we can use our cell phones to set reminders um, you know, we want to make sure that if they're using the internet or any device that accesses the internet that we have restrictions set, that's probably like another whole episode, right? But, um, you know, use those cell phones or smartwatches, um, to, to help manage time, to set reminders, um, and, you know, allow calculators for math. I use a calculator that's on my cell phone all the time for all sorts of things. Um, and there's apps that we can get nowadays that teach kids about, um, teaches, teaches them how to manage their money. Um, so, you know, you can utilize all the different technology um, to focus on these things to, to, to really teach the important life skills that our kids need, you know, and yeah, maybe they get it at school. Um, but we need to teach them at home. We need to make sure that we're addressing it at home as well and that we're just using, you know, paying attention to and using anything, any resource we can to help our kids with managing time and managing money. Overall, really, our kids, when it comes down to it, need a support person most likely with these things. Um, and whether that support person is us as a parent or caregiver, maybe it's another trustworthy relative or an adult that we know or someone who can check in on their money habits. Um, 
each person is different. Each individual is on a different aspect of the FASD spectrum. So, you know, we have to be sensitive to their unique needs. Um, some kiddos need to have uh, parents will establish guardianship for their kids who are more severely impacted by FASD. Um, some might only need a little support, a little bit of a check-in in this area. You know your kid best. There is no one-size-fits-all in this. No one-size-fits-all accommodation. Mainly, we as parents and caregivers must understand that prenatal exposure to alcohol or other drugs literally changes the structure and the function of the brain and there are primary symptoms that are common to this prenatal exposure and difficulty with abstract concepts is a big one we must become fasd informed so that we can be on the lookout for it and understand that that's where some of this behavior is coming from and we need to learn to think brain, which is something that I teach, um, especially when I am teaching deep dives into FASD and I, and I share and, and use um, the facets neurobehavioral model. Um, we need to discover and implement accommodations for our kids. So again, it's not cookie cutter. It's not one size fits all. What might work for one kid might not work for another. I have two kids. They're, they're, they're biologically related, um, very similar, same histories, adopted, um, both diagnosed FAS. Um, they're on different spots on the spectrum. And what works for one doesn't work for the other. And what one needs, the other one maybe doesn't need so much. So you have to really personalize it and focus on um, their strengths and focus on how their brain works and be creative about coming up with, you know, strategies and accommodations so that our kids can thrive at home, at school, and in the community. Um, and, and it takes knowing your kid, knowing their strengths, um, and knowing how this presents in them. And when you can look at it and realize, you know, it's not that my kid is lazy and or that my kid is just inconsiderate and doesn't get ready on time or get things finished on time or remember to do things or, you know, whatever it is, or they're just being difficult and not memorizing their multiplication facts, whatever it is. Could it be the brain? Could it be that they were prenatally exposed to alcohol and their brain just doesn't get abstract concepts and might not it might not be something that you can just teach um, there can be improvements in certain things but there are some areas where it's just it's just how their brain works so we have to really change the environment not the kid um, and we talk about this I'll talk about this more and more as we approach these different um, symptoms of an FASD um, but I hope you found um, this information to be helpful um, for your journey. Next episode, I have a special guest, a foster and adoptive mom. Um, a couple of her kiddos also diagnosed with an FASD, but we're also going to be talking about um, kind of like her side hustle because she also coaches other moms on how to organize their homes, something that I still need help with after 30 plus years of 
this parenting thing. So I hope that you tune in for the next episode. And then the next time we pick up this series on the primary symptoms of FASD, we will tackle the symptom of difficulty with predicting outcomes. We're going to break that down. What does that mean? Um, and maybe we'll have an aha moment when we realize, oh, that's a thing. So you won't want to miss that episode or any of our episodes. I thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. And I hope it really helped you and that you feel encouraged and better equipped for your parenting journey. Um, Don't forget, we have lots of help for the journey. Be sure to check out our website for resources for all foster adoptive and kinship caregivers. We have our Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community, which is three Tuesday evenings a month. Uh, Natalie Vecchione, uh, formerly of FASD Hope Podcast, and myself um, are leading that group and we would love to have you join us. Um, We also have um, frequently, I do um, intro to FASD lunch and learns. They are just 45 minutes to an hour of an introduction to FASD. And I also offer um, deep dive workshops where I use, utilize the facets neurobehavioral model. Um, And those are always uh, listed in uh, registration available on our website, which is at, uh, you can go to justicefororphansny.org. I also always like to give a shout out to some businesses who sponsor our work and help us do what we do. Um, And uh, they are businesses local to our area here in upstate New York, Tri Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Kuksaki and Cullman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families in crisis and they help us do what we do. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to let us know by subscribing and leave a review and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know about this podcast so that they can be encouraged and equipped too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also find me, Sandra Flack, on both platforms as well. Again, I'm so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans and check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.